dinosaurs. Hey, you like Pez? It looks like that has Heaney from the boundary line. He's an expert at these. Hello and welcome to Behind the Boundary Podcast. I'm your host, Pez. I'm here with Sauce and we're here for our round recap show of round one. Sauce, how good is it to have footy back? Hey guys, amazing to have footy back. It was great to actually be at the footy as well, Pez. And that first holding the ball signal and the sound from the crowd, $2 pies, cold mid-strength beer, oh, it was all happening. I saw a few things on Twitter about the mid-strength beer and the prices going up and things like that. So that's not, um, that's not very good, but I haven't been to the footy yet, so I'll hopefully get along in round two. But did you use the old, uh, he's been doing it all day, um? <laughs> no, but I did tell the bloke next to me about that. I said, that's one of the best things I like to hear at the footy is that he's been doing it all day, ump. Did you hear it? No, I didn't hear oh, it. Oh, that's, that's really disappointing. We'll no, talk about the good good sounds of the footy. Yeah. yeah. That's, no, that's a definite good sound of the footy. And it, I, I looked back at the first game on Thursday and I looked back to last year in 2020 and just the difference because they had no audio last year. They had no fake crowd noise. It was just all sounds of the game, what you could hear in the field. It's so much better watching footy with a crowd. So much better. And it's good to have that atmosphere, Pez. I was at the Essendon-Hawthorne um, game, one-point game. And when that last goal went through, or well, the last two minutes was very exciting. The big roar from that next to my mate who was a, he's a very um, sort of modest sort of support. He doesn't really do a lot of cheering. But when that second last goal went through and they thought they had it snagged, Ooh. up and about, had the double, double pythons going. He was uh, up and about, but then obviously taken away from him. And it would have been really disappointing. It was just, it was very interesting how quick the stadium cleared out after as well. And was, he was majority sort of sitting there. majority fans Essendon Hawthorne? I was a good mix. It was a good mix. It was an Essendon home game, but it was a lot of Essendon um, fans there because obviously they had the priority to the membership. But still, still a fair few um, Hawthorne supporters there. So I'm not sure how that works. But um, well, I'll be interested to uh, talk about that when we get to that in our recap and uh, have a look at how Essendon capitulated that uh, big lead. So let's get straight into it. We've got nine games to get through. And as I mentioned before, Source, uh, last Thursday, it was Richmond versus Carlton, the uh, regular season. We spoke about this as the round opener, season opener, last week on our show, um, Behind the Bound. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, at Behind the Bound. Richmond won 105 to Carlton's 80, beating them by 25 points in the end, and it wasn't uh, that big a margin. Uh, about six minutes before that. No, it's the same thing that happens every single year. Carlton came out flying. The middle of the game, it was sort of dominated by... Um well, sort of uh, dominated by Richmond and then Carlton made their way back and then the last quarter, the, the man on the mark reel really opened up and uh, typical in Richmond fashion, they uh, bowled out to a five or six goal league and really disappointing for, for Carlton because that's not probably how the game um, properly illustrated how competitive they were for 90% of it. Well, how competitive they were. I think Essendon, uh, no, Essendon, Richmond absolutely dominated because they had 75 inside 50s to 41. They just couldn't get the shots from it. So Carlton's defence... Stood up a little bit. You had Weirin who played pretty well. Uh, but I just think Richmond, uh, if Dustin Martin didn't play, 
then Carlton would have really had a shot to try and steal it, even with the less inside 50s. But that guy just had the ball in a string and, and kicking goals like he did in the grand final. Yeah, absolute string, mate. He um, Just the, the sheer strength of him. There were three or four opportunities where he sort of um, broke into a pack and had the ball and, and had nowhere else to go. There was one opportunity where he actually fell over. And the sheer strength of him to be able to still get, you know, fight off a fend-off a tackle, get a kick away, go get his own ground ball. He's just an incredible person to watch play football. And um, you talk about, you know, like straight out, superstars of the game and he is making a great great case to to probably put his hat in the ring for one of the best players we've ever had oh easily and uh best player in the game at the moment in my oh, opinion he's hands down. uh it was very easy to tell after last year even and after round one uh he, he could have kicked six i kept saying to you we we're watching it together <laughs> i was like could have six here could have seven because he just he's unselfish and uh, a couple of his kicks went went astray when he was snapping around the corner and things like that but he ended up with two goals ended up with 31 disposals and one was one of the best players on the ground yeah most definitely um there's nothing more you can say. A clear, clear best, uh, best offensive player on the ground. There's there. three votes. There's the three votes. Yeah, straight away. Um, it was it was really good to see uh, some of the other Richmond players stand up though. You had uh, um, Bolter, who probably is not going to poll well there, but he was looking amazing down back and uh, really kept Carlton from uh, scoring a couple of those opportunities. They went they went forward a couple of times and they looked really promising, and then just Bolter just absolutely dominating. For them there. to lose Alex Rance and them to just oh. get a gem like Noel Bolter and and just to come in and be a, a premium one on one defender. It, it's just how how lucky can you get? But um, yeah, as as we said on behind the bound because we recorded that um, the cheeky punt pod afterwards uh, in the game. Bolter, yes, probably second best on ground, but won't get the votes. I said Shea Bolton with his twenty five and one probably uh, w- would get the votes there. And um, the the young guy from Carlton, your your man, yeah, Sam Sammy Walsh. Sammy <laughs> Walsh looked amazing at thirty one uh, thirty one disposals. He was uh, pretty pretty decent around the ground, had seven clearances for the game, so you know definitely kept Carlton alive in those patches where they were looking promising. And, and I, think you're, I think you're right what you said, that whilst Richmond did dominate the game, I think Carlton being eight points down into the last quarter to go down by 30 and just be absolutely not present in that last quarter, that last, what, probably 15 minutes, really disappointing for Carlton, but some positive signs for them moving forward, like always. They're coming, Piz. <laughs> They're, coming. <laughs> They're coming. But one of the positive ones was um, it's never good to see someone injured, but Silvani went off with a shoulder and Os- Oscar McDonald comes oh. in. Uh, he kicks two goals. He, he looked on fire, could could not do anything wrong. And uh, he, yeah, he just he jumped on board. Carlton was their multiple goal kicker along with McKay and Gibbons who both had two. But uh, he's definitely starting next week. Most definitely stuff. Well, that that was an interesting question that we had. You know, you would have to imagine two goals in uh, less than two hundred seconds. He'd probably be getting a start up for the week after this week against uh, old foes Collingwood. And uh, the thing that came up about the medical sub. So that was the first one, a serious one where. Uh, Silvani did something to his shoulder but the other one was Vlosten with his knee is it a corky was it was it this was it that there was a lot of talk after the game because he went off uh, and got replaced by the medical sub yeah and we spoke about this a little bit um, in some of our questions coming up into round one about what is going to be deemed medically unfit and you know like at the moment I've got a bit of a corky in my, my calf but like am I ruled medically unfit because it's a little bit uncomfortable or is it medically unfit where it's going to if I continue playing it's going to do more damage so really interesting that one and uh, it was good that the rule got uh, some scrutiny right up from uh, round one 
But to tell you what, though, Pez, the, the two things that I noticed out of the round one and the, the rest of the round for, for a start was the, the 50, the man on the mark rule, the umpires actually controlled that really well and didn't go berserk with the with the blowing the fifties. And we had more fifties for the protected area one, which all of them that I saw were just just dumb. The players not being aware. What it did show us is in that last quarter, the fitter teams, the teams that run more, they're going to uh, take advantage of these longer quarters from then from last year back to our normal quarters of twenty minutes, and to be able to create that flow going forward. And that has been the trend in all, a lot of the games this this round. Yep, you see the quarter, you see there's five minutes left in the quarter, and you go the fitter team here uh, runs over the top. So the other thing we have to mention from round one source this season, we are head to head, not in tipping, but head to head in lines. We went against each other in three different games this round. And for the first one, Source had Richmond minus 23 and a half and snuck home. They won by 25, so one point to me and uh, you miss out there. Yeah, I did miss out on that one. I was a bit disappointed because I think early in the last quarter, I said to you, well, you, you went know the early crow. <laughs> I went the early crow and then they went bang, 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 bang. And I thought, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> shit. Yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely shit. So, uh, all right, on to the, the next game. We have the uh, Western Bulldogs, or Collingwood take on the Western Bulldogs. And it was a, a, an interesting game touted as a bit of a um, – could have been a bit of a grudge match for, for Mr. Trelaw. Collingwood playing Western Bulldogs, and it was a decent sort of uh, win for the Bulldogs there. Yeah, that was a big the big narrative going in with Trelaw, and uh, he did interviews on Fox Footy, and he, he said how much he loved the club and things like that. Didn't they get around him? And the Collingwood fans in the first quarter, giving him the booze when uh, Collingwood showed him the door. And then in the fourth quarter when he got the ball, they actually uh, applauded him and, and things like that. So they saved face a little bit there. Um, Trelaw probably wasn't one of the best players. You saw that uh, massive mullet by Bailey Smith. <laughs> him running around in his rig and what he does. Absolutely amazing and three Brownlow votes there oh, for sure. 100% three Brownlow votes. And uh, I actually did a little bit of a cheeky after the game, Pairs. I jumped on Sportsbet and chucked a, a fiver on him to win. He's paying $81. He's already come into $41. I know it's not a betting podcast, but he he's an unbelievable um, player. Not only player, but like kick of the football. If he can he can continually an average over 30 in a couple of snags, don't worry about bottom belly for the Brownlow. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get over this with Bailey Smith. With that mullet, he definitely will stand out as well, Pez. No need for the bleach uh, Wawoden hair. It's all about the mullet. That's it. In the, in the first quarter, um, I, I pop, pop, something popped up on my phone. I get the notifications from Sir Swamp Thing off Twitter. And he said 14 players have uh, gone inside 50. Uh, 14 different players for the Bulldogs in 14 inside 50s. And then I, I read that on my phone, put my phone down. 30 seconds later, Matthew Richardson <laughs> doesn't doesn't even shout him out. He just goes, he uses the stat as his own. And I'm sitting there going, Richo, you can't be doing this. He's got Twitter. He's got these notifications on. Oh, if Sir Swamp Thing gets something out, I'm just going to... Uh, take the credit here and, and do that. So I wasn't happy with uh, Richo there. It's actually, we've, we've talked about this um, a few times. Not, not a fan of the show, but definitely one of our favourite Twitter accounts. Sir Swamp Thing, jump on it. His database or their database that they're using there must be incredible. But the, the stats that come out and the quickness of it, but now I've noticed, Pez, other people that I follow on Twitter have been doing the exact same thing and it's really poor for Richo for, for doing that. But we're, we're getting a little bit sidetracked and not talking about the football. Interesting thing is how many inside 50s the Western Bulldogs had and they didn't take control of this game and they left Collingwood in there for some heroics from uh, Darcy Moore who continually <laughs> just intercept marks all over the place. How are the Western Bulldogs going to get over this hurdle of not being able to score pairs? Because, you know, they came out 16-point winners, they dominated this game um, and they just couldn't seem to, to get a good forward entry. Yeah, well, 27 shots from 16 inside 50s is not very good. And uh, I was messaging you throughout the game, Source, and when they kick it up high and they kick it up to, you know, what's meant to be a forward, 
they don't have anyone down there at the moment that can you you know really take a grab or do that. Norton, uh, he, he looks fumbly. Bruce, nowhere near it. And uh, English, he, he still looks a bit scared and a bit skinny. So we'll see how he goes over the season. But they need to put someone in there, put the number one draft pick in there and uh, just get him to take a grab. Because when they kicked it up high and they were under, under the pump, Collingwood just got it out too easily. When they were running it in and then spotting up a short target, that's when they looked good. That's when they could kick goals. But you've got to be able to kick bolt goals both ways. Yeah, most definitely that or... Take a couple extra bounces like that. They're one of those teams that really, you know, we said that with that midfield and that running midfield is really going to take advantage of this, you know, more open ground. Don't kick the ball from outside 50. Take a couple of extra you know, um, steps into it. Either bring the defender and have a ping yourself. They sort of need to adapt to the Brisbane Lions um, mentality last year. As soon as you get inside 50, you have a ping. Because I, they just don't have a tall, uh, tall target there yet. You know, the number one draft pick, he kicks five snags during his VFL debut. So you couldn't imagine it'd be long before he gets in there. Two things I noticed from their forward line. Bad delivery in there. And they can't take overhead marks. Like so, so why are they bombing it down there? Have the ping from at just at, just inside fifty, and and make it better for you know for the scoreboard. Make it a decent shot for winning. Yeah, that's definitely what they have to do. But uh, nine of the Bulldogs led the disposals for the game, and the tenth player was Scott Pendlebury. I'm really interested in your view on Scott Pendlebury during that game. He had 25 disposals. He kicked a point. He had six turnovers. He looked a little bit slower than usual. He looked like he was actually getting caught. And uh, is he on the decline? And is it, or is it too early to write off a, a superstar like Scott Pendlebury? I think you have done exactly what Source did during the uh, Richmond Carlton game, mate. And you've gone the early crow, and it is <laughs> way too early to call that. He's an absolute superstar of the game. But the things that did stand out was he's one of those players that sort of um, he he never looked like he'd be able to be tackled, and he never looked like you know whilst he was going in slow motion a lot of the time, he never looked like he was um, ever close of getting tackled. But uh, it definitely stood out there. We are talking about a very fast-paced midfield, and the Western Bulldogs did apply a lot and an immense amount of pressure. The other thing you've got to remember is Pendlebury didn't have some of his supporting cast there to help out with the, with the load. You know, Steel Sidebottom was not in there. He's missing Adams, uh, uh, missing Trelaw, missing Phillips in there. So it'll take some time for him to adjust. Yeah, he's, good. Well, he's got to get some more mates because some of them aren't even on the list anymore. <laughs> yeah, but that's where it is. That's where they've got to do is they've got to start to look at the game plan. And, you know, I think it'll take him some adjusting too because he's always been surrounded with dominant midfielders throughout his whole career. And now he's, he's the only one <laughs> sort of left standing there. Um, so it'll be some adjusting, I think. And one that's going to come under scrutiny, Nathan Buckley. He's already uh, heard a lot of it this week because of that loss. And uh, can he get this Collingwood side who had salary cap issues? Uh, big things going on about Brady Grundy as well. And uh, oh, is he is he worth a seven seven years seven million dollar deal? The Collingwood supporters that were you know saying this is amazing. We've got the best ruckman in the comp. We've got him for seven years. Let's lock him in a million dollars. A couple of years later. They're saying this is the worst contract we've ever had and writing him off already. Yeah, I mean, he's worth a million dollars a year at the moment. So a million dollars a year, you need more than 39 hitouts, 11 disposals, three marks, three tackles. You need a lot more from a million-dollar player. Um, I think know, Stefan Martin, the, the, the old codger, came in and he had gave 15, him buff. He had 15, he had 15 touches. Um, he lost the hitouts, but, you know, hitouts to advantage, you know, it's... That, that, that's not really uh, documented on the on the stats that we're looking at here. So you, you couldn't imagine with the way the Western Bulldogs dominated that he won that stat either. So got first touch of the ball, but was ineffective. Um, he wasn't able to get around the ground. The thing that gave him that big contract was 
a lot of the time he was only he was able to act as a proper big six foot something midfielder and get his own pill. He was averaging probably what 25, 26 disposals. Well, he'd get his own. He didn't 30, set marks 30 well. um, and that's what he needs to do. He needs to really start to step up other aspects of his games because being able to hit the ball down to the floor is not enough of a skill to be a million dollars a year. Not at all, but Western Bulldogs, the line early in the week, their source was minus three and a half. Before the bounce, it moved to minus five and a half, but the Bulldogs still would have covered that as well. So we both jumped on the Bulldogs there. So you're off the board for the year and I'm 2-0. Oh. Yep. Then we get into the, the Saturday games and the entree, as we said, it, uh, football all day. If you sat there from one forty-five, you didn't have to move off your couch yep, till about I, 11 o'clock at I night. I didn't. It was good. <laughs> uh, Pez would have got through the very best. Um, we had the first game was Melbourne. Um, a lot of questions coming into this game. Obviously, their pre-season hadn't been too good and uh, Fremantle with an abundance of injuries. Melbourne were able to get the job done by 22 points, but it wasn't as easy as that 22 points uh, seemed. The skill level in this game, Pez, I was messaging oh, you during before. Wasn't it, it poor? It was that first quarter, there were so many turnovers. It was like watching aerial ping pong, but not in a good type. It was going back one way, back one way, back one way. Melbourne need to get better at their skill set if they want to be a genuine contender. And you listen to Melbourne talk, they actually believe that they're a genuine contender this year. Their skill needs to improve. You take plus 12 marks inside 50 and you only win by 22 points. That's... uh that's quite poor from Melbourne there, but uh, they had their players, you know, win the ball and and do that as well. Stephen May, uh, really impressive down the back there. Christian Petrarca is always uh, a bit of a star there. And yeah, 23 disposals and two goals. We talked about him being dominant and that's what he needs to do. The problem is he can't go get the pill and always keep the goals. They need someone else. And they did find Tom McDonald popping up a couple of times, 18 disposals, two goals, but they've got to find a genuine forward down there. And they've got Ben Brown. They've, they've got him. They've got. They've got to find a genuine forward down there. <laughs> ben Brown on um, Saturday, he would have helped because uh, he would have been on the receiving end of some of those marks, and he's a really good set shot at goal. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. They got the four points, which was the important thing. But Goodwin is still under the pump. Uh, Fremantle had a lot of injuries going into the game when the teams finally came out. Source no Michael Walters and things like that. So uh, they kind of lost it before forehand which was no good and uh we both jumped on the the plus 12 and a half for Frio because we didn't know what the teams were going to look like and uh it went out to minus 15 and a half before the game and that was that was no good there but a big injury to Alex Pierce who looks like it's uh another knee yeah, season ending which probably. was very very sad and Hamling with an ankle it looks like he'll be out for about four weeks most definitely. It was good. some promising signs from uh, Fremantle, though, because we did talk about how you know they, their probably big deficiency was being able to score, and they're a very defensive um, side, and they're also very young. So you expect them to gradually get better, but sometimes in that second year, you get those second-year blues, and uh, a lot of those players uh, drop off. Caleb Sarong was fantastic, 26 disposals. Adam Chera, the, the mature-age student, uh, student, sorry, the mature-age <laughs> player, 24 touches, and Andy Brayshaw with 29 continued his fine form. So some promising sign from the Ds, and Realistically, they were in this game right until the end. Uh, the 22 points definitely didn't do it justice uh, on that scoreboard. Mate, and uh, Longmuir, he knew what was the problem, that they didn't have the forward line there. So he tried to put Pierce up forward, got injured in the first quarter. But Matty Tabiner, his hands at the ball and his strong marking reminds me of Jack Darling. And he is he played amazing, kicked three goals, but he needs support up there because he, he can't do it by himself. And that showed last year in games when they lost, when he still kicked, you know, two, three, four every week. Uh, they need that other forward up there, which was meant to be Jesse Hogan, who didn't work out. So now who is it going to be up there? Yeah, I, I think we have to um, apologise a little bit. We didn't really give Tabernar enough credit for, for um, his shot on goals because he sort of came out of the blocks last year firing with goals, but then he sort of... Uh, 
really faded away, but his overhead marking skills is elite, and we, we didn't really touch on that uh, enough in, in the last pod, so apologies to him. But three snags for him, you know, really respectable um, for, for him. If they can, can get that from him every week, put Walters in there for a couple of snags, Fife for a couple, then they could generally the, push for the eight. That'll be hard to beat at home. Like, oh, 100%. They'll, they'll be in that middle rank uh, fighting for the eight. Uh, this game was probably not a good one to lose against a Melbourne side who might be on the decline still, but uh, we'll see what happens. And it's only round one. We can't take too much on board from it. But we move to the next game, and will we take too much on board here? We had the Adelaide Crows defeating your Geelong Cats. Adelaide 103, Geelong 91. They won by 12 points, Source. What happened here? Well, it was exactly what we spoke about in uh, in the pre-show, Pez. Not in terms of this game especially, but the teams that take advantage of that run, they will... Um, They'll look good, and um, Adelaide looked amazing early. They continually run. They took the game on. They opened the game up, um, and, I mean, realistically, they held their own nerve, too, going to that fourth quarter when Geelong definitely were coming back, and they kicked, you know, four or five in that last quarter. But Adelaide were very impressive. Absolute return of Tex Walker. Sneaky Coleman. (laughs) Look at that, Walker, five goals. You wouldn't have picked it after the grand final in 2017 that he'd be back kicking bags like that. He had four at halftime, kicked one in the second half and uh, finished with five there. But the thing... Not only five though, 18 disposals. That that was like two off his best ever. Like That's (laughs) incredible. The the thing that got me, you know, after watching the Amazon Prime, we're just going to pump it up again with the Rory Sloan and they're following Adelaide. At the end of that season, they, they looked like they were together. I would have never picked Geelong not to cover the line here at 24 and a half. But the effort that the Adelaide Crows put in around the footy was next to next to no one. It was the best over the round oh, for sure. And I don't know if they can keep it up every week because of their list. But if they can do that in spurts, they become a team that can get the upset win every now and then. Now, they're not going to win many games, Source. But here's one that they've stolen and Geelong need to work hard now because they need to finish top four. Yeah, really disappointing for, for um, Geelong here because we, we, we spoke about this that they are definitely going to be the hunter this year. There's been a lot talked about them and how they're buying a premiership and, you know, it has to be a premiership or bust. Not a great start. But handy little loss to have straight out, though. Get the, get the bad one out of the way. Round one, this is not one of those games that you want to drop later in the year when you've got a seven or eight game win streak and then you lose it to the Crows. That's one of the ones that you can sort of put away and be like, you know what? Round one, they weren't prepared. They probably didn't give the respect enough to the, the opposition. Most definitely not. They would have been absolutely exposed. And now they can actually plan going into week two against Brisbane. Um, but, yeah, really disappointing for the Cats. You, you think that they would have come out with a, with a better effort. Yeah, well, well, they couldn't. They didn't. Their forward line didn't look too uh, good. Isaac Smith nearly ran away with the game at the end. Uh, the the fitness level he's got, and he kicked his two and and missed one as well. But the big story was the the big injury, the big uh, tribunal that's coming up. Patrick Dangerfield elected to bump, knocked out, uh, knocked out Cali, uh, and broken nose and blood. It didn't look pretty, no. and uh, a lot of people calling for his head. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing. Like, obviously, I'm a Geelong fan, Pez, and you actually were the one that brought this up. It's a bit disappointing. People have gone out headhunting for it. In, in you look at the actual um, the actual act, and don't get me wrong, the rule very clearly states that if you elect to bump, a reasonable um, uh, uh, effect from a bump is that there could be a possible head clash, and you're held responsible. So, most definitely, he has um, he's done the wrong thing. Well, he's not done the wrong thing, but he's elected to bounce. He has to wear the consequences. But the amount of people that were calling out, oh, it needs to be six weeks, it needs to be three weeks. You know, like for me. It's one to two weeks. It's probably two weeks with the amount of scrutiny on the head high contact, but um, really disappointing for, for him and a lot of punters out there because uh, Brownlow is gone. 
Oh, Brownlow's gone for the punters, but uh, the big story is y- you've got to look after the head. There's been lots of research um, continuing to happen uh, overseas in the NFL and things like that with concussions. So the head is sacrosanct. If you elect a bump, even if it's an accidental head clash, accidental shoulder, whatever it might be, you could, you could see in the vision, his shoulder did not hit his head. No, it, it was, was a, a head clash. clash. Yeah. His nose went into his head. He was knocked out before he hit the ground. A little bit of whiplash when he did hit the ground as well. So it, it looks bad. And uh, three weeks is probably where it's going to be. If Geelong can put up a good case in the tribunal, they might be able to get it down to two. Well, it's interesting the case that they've gone in there, Pez, because uh, Patrick Dangerfield's one of the defences they're going with is that he didn't elect to bump. He actually elected to protect himself because he was running in there and tried to tackle, but then decided that he was going to be, um, you know, he was going to be involved in a, in, a, in a clash. So he's braced himself with the shoulder, and then as a as he didn't actually elect, elect to, ju- uh, to, uh, to jump. He actually elected to protect himself. And as you can see, he doesn't jump off the ground. It's sort of just a, a clash. So um, I don't think it's a great argument. No, he, he, look, he stayed on the ground, which is great. Yeah. But he bumped. He, he didn't brace. He braced for the bump. That's what he did. He didn't, yeah. he didn't brace to protect himself. Yeah. He actually braced for the bump, put the, put the shoulder and the arm out there. Um, unfortunate head clash. Dangerfield's head would have uh, would have been hurting after that as well. Yeah, he goes straight. He got stitches in, in the forehead. Straight in the back of the head. So... Um, uh, when these things happen, it's, it's just not good. What, what were his other choices? He had to try and tackle or he had to jump out of the way or he had to try and go lower. It's it's just I mean, a the, really tough situation. It's really tough because if he tackles, he puts himself in a very vulnerable spot. And, you know, as he's as they're saying, is that you've got to, your first option has got to be to protect yourself, which he's done here. I mean, I, I'm not saying that he should get off, most definitely not. It was a terrible clash, but there's two things I take out of it, Pez. I don't like that you are penalised for the result of the injury. Now, only because if he gets up and walks away, no concussion, no broken nose, it's not as bad, correct? There was an incident on, on, on Thursday night football with the Richmond guy and he throws a malice sort of elbow and he, he collects someone intentionally, but because there was no concussion, there was no injury, he gets off with a fine. Now, that's what I don't like about it is, and I don't know how you word malice into the rule, but that's surely got to be taken into consideration that he actually, you know, it was a football act, which was one of the wordings they used a couple of years ago. The only the only problem was that you know he's left himself vulnerable if he uh, by electing to bump, I guess. Yeah, well, it, it's hard. It's just it's, it's, it's head clash done. You can't if you put malice into it. You've got uh, opinion, more opinion yeah, coming into it. it. It's very hard to judge. And if how do you judge a missed elbow? As, as malice if they, oh, I didn't know their head was there. Well, I mean, it's the intentional aspect like of that. it. You look at, um, what was his face uh, in the preseason from Carlton that did it? Um, Zach Williams. Zach Williams, yeah. Like, that's that was, that was clearly an intentional act, and he, he got two weeks for it, and, and you're going to get someone who, again, the result is far worse because he obviously can cast and broken nose, and he, he wasn't able to partake in the game, and he's got 12 days off, so he can't participate in the next, next two games either. You've just got to be lucky. If you choose the bump and there's a head clash or yeah. their head gets done, You've got to be lucky that that bloke might not be as bad and can get up and and doesn't have to miss weeks and doesn't break his nose and and all of those things. It's just uh, it's the it's way unlucky, of the game now. Yeah, it's unlucky. You you got to choose to tackle and uh, go from there. I'm sure there'll be more bumps over the season uh, because the bump was meant to be dead source about five or six years ago and and people are still bumping. So um, we'll speak about another bump that's not a tribunal like, but on one of the Sunday games coming up. But before we do that, this game you are at source. Essendon versus Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium. Uh, on the night, it was a tale of not even two halves. Essendon in the second quarter, Hawthorne uh, coming back from 40 points down to win by a point. Even when Essendon hit the front again with five points up with about two minutes to go, 
Hawthorne got over the line by a point. Yeah, you most definitely didn't uh, put that into justice, Piers. It was definitely a tale of one quarter versus three quarters because uh, Hawks trailed at halftime by 39 points. The Bombers oh. banged on eight goals to one in the second term. That is massive. But then after that, uh, they went on their own sort of one goal to ten <laughs> to one third term and then they fell behind in the final two minutes, as you said. And, Pez, I told you, this this needed to be the opening game for the for, for the AFL 2020 season, <laughs> 2021 season, I told you. Yeah, do the opening game. Absolute cracker. <laughs> Absolute cracker from two bottom sides and <laughs> all the Essendon fans that were going on about, you know what, how did you put us in the bottom four? Have a look what you just lost to. You got a 40-point lead. And you lost to a Hawthorne side who aren't going to win many games this year either. And and look what's happened to you. It's it's absolutely unbelievable. They covered the line by, um, two, it was two and a half source. So you actually got that, uh, snuck it in by a point. A little ripper. Um, Hawthorne would have got the tip but, but missed out on that. So, um, oh, well, I don't know. Ben McAvoy, I, I like the way he goes about it. He was the captain uh, and, and did a few things like that. I always like Bruce when he can uh, step up and kick a goal. But Tommy Mitchell in that second half, a Brownlee medalist just, just came in and this is my footy. We're moving it forward. We're going on from here. Yeah, most definitely. One thing I did notice from this game, and there was a lot of people talking about the free kick count uh, at the end of the game. Now, Essendon definitely won that free kick count pretty heavily, but if you looked at it at halftime, this is where I have a problem with the free kick count. Because at halftime, there was a very big discrepancy between Essendon. I think it was about 10 or 15 different. But then what happened in the, in the second half is obviously what happens, you know, the umpires go in there and they have a look at the stats and they go... Okay, well, there's going to be some opportunities here. Not avoiding free kicks for Essendon, but there's opportunities of ones that we probably can pay Hawthorne to make it come back a little bit. And that definitely came into effect in that second half. They definitely adjusted the way that they were umpiring across the game. And it didn't affect the result, most definitely, but extremely frustrating from an observer who doesn't follow either team. Mate, oh, you've stolen my thunder in a game that's uh, later on the Sunday again, but... The, the free kick count is one of my biggest pet hates. When there is a discrepancy of five or more and it just continues to grow, the fans that get on Twitter and just complain about the free kicks, you're stealing that game away from us, you're doing this, you're doing that. Watch the game and actually see which free kicks matter. Do you know what happens? When a player takes a mark inside 50 and then someone gives them a chop over the yeah. head, they've already taken the mark, that's paid as a free kick. We, we spoke about but that they, Thursday night. But they took the mark. Mm-hmm. So that counts on the stat. So if you're not going to count those on the stats, it looks a lot better. Um, and, and sometimes, you know what equals free kick? Effort. Effort can equal free kicks. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't have to be the umpire cost us this. Maybe your players aren't putting in enough effort or maybe the other team are just putting in so much effort that they're getting you caught for holding the ball and things like that. So uh, I don't like it when that comes up. Sometimes there are calls that are, you know, they cost you a goal here and there. It should even out over the game. I know it doesn't in every single game source, but... Yeah, massive pet hate of mine as well. And I, I dislike the fans on Twitter who jump on board and go, oh, the umpires are costing us the game. I mean, you spoke about, you know, things that cost them the game. The things that cost Essendon the game on uh, Thursday, oh, sorry, on Saturday night, one, giving away a 39-point uh, uh, lead. That, that That's probably on them. Yep. Two was not, not getting easy goals. Sammy Draper, Jide Colwell, Kyle Hooker, in the first quarter, they had three or four opportunities, very in front of goal, had great, you know, centre clearances, they took the mark, and then they just completely butchered the shots on goal. And, and they were, I know that the... Um, if you look at the, they only scored 13 behinds, but it's the behinds that they score when they're right in front on mm. set shots and they should be putting them away as elite footballers. They're the ones that really, really, really hurt as football fans. Not about the free kick count, 
it is frustrating when you're watching that second half and then, you know there's a discrepancy of such a big difference and they're only they're only blowing it one way to make sure that it sort of um, it doesn't look as bad but it is frustrating when people go and blame the umpires easy sets, set shots on goal cost them the game straight out yep. and obviously not performing for, for three quarters of a game uh, exactly right. So you got your players to blame, but someone's always going to blame the umpires, and it even happens to the club you support, and and you don't like it when it does happen. Um, so that's no good there. So what happened there, Sauce? You got the line there. Uh, I missed out on Hawthorne, even though they had the win. So that's what happens with the lines, and we're back to even uh, at two apiece for the year uh, after that game. So yeah, most definitely pairs, and one of the biggest upsets of the round. Definitely came on that Saturday night after the Geelong. We thought we, that was going to be one of the biggest ones. This probably equally, you know, actually, no, you probably could have predicted it because Sydney did change their logo. They've gone more aggressive, <laughs> and that's what happened, mate. They were a lot more aggressive. They they bought the run. The Swans, in an absolutely topsy-turvy game, got the chocolates against, you know, prelim finalist, the Brisbane Lions, by 31 points, which is incredible for them to keep that big league. It, it, look at that. Isaac Heaney, uh, McDonald, and Goulden, all three goals and multiple um, behinds between them as well. Uh, it's started off with Brisbane, three goals really, really quickly up at the Gabba. And you're sitting there going, you know what? This is going to be an absolute belting. It would be a 10-goal win. Sydney kicked the next seven goals of the game. And then Brisbane came back and, and they were draw at halftime, 52 points apiece. And Sydney, they didn't put their heads down or anything. They went in at halftime. They came back. They regrouped. They came out and they won this game by 31 points. Now, that is unheard of against the Brisbane Lions side up at the Gabba. We saw the Geelong um, upset earlier in the day. Didn't think I was going to see this one. And they are the two tips, Source, that I actually got wrong for the round, the two massive upsets that I don't think anyone in their right mind nah, no one. would have tipped it. No one. And, and, and if they did tip, they forgot to put their tips in because they got the away team. <laughs> and that, that, well, at least this one you did because um, you couldn't have picked it. But uh, Sydney were incredible. Um, their run around the ground really, really made Brisbane, who are one of the faster teams in the league, made them look really slow. And the able their, their ability of them to convert, um, their forward line is going to be really scary with news that Buddy Franklin could be stepping in. Errol Goulding, three goals won, 19 disposals. He looked incredible out there. Maybe that's what Buddy's saying. Oh, um, this young fella's going to take my spotlight at Sydney. I'm uh, I'm going to come back and remind everyone who at, I am. Look at that. Isaac Heaney, three. Logan, Logan McDonald, three. Errol Goulding, three. You put Buddy Franklin in there to get a three as well. That's, uh, that's yeah, going to be a dangerous forward line. Keep going down the list, Sauce. Yeah, Sam Reid, two. Wicks, your man, two. My man, Wicks. Luke Parker, two. Mills, two. What's going on with this multiple goal kicking? Tom Papley only kicked one goal, and they, they relied kicked, on him heavily. Kicked one one. Yeah, so he's still getting around there. But like they, that's, that's, they relied on that, him heavily. That forward and lines if, can be dangerous. If Tom Papley didn't kick three or four goals last year, Sydney had no chance to win. He's only kicked yeah, one true. goal here, and and look at that. They've won by thirty one points against a, a lot of people's premiership favourites. A lot of people's uh, they're going to definitely finish in the top four type picks uh, away from home. Oh, it's a bad one to lose to the Lions. Most definitely. But we spoke about this um, probably more last year about how exciting the Swans could be when they put it together. And maybe we had the crow a little bit too early last year, Pez, with that young that young midfield that they've got and that young bodies around the ground. James Rowbottom had eight tackles and he looked incredible out there with 22 disposals. But not only that, the, the names you know that, that jump off the paper, it's really good that we're not having... Luke Parker and Lloyd having 40 each. We had Mills that had uh, 29. You obviously had Lloyd in there with 24. You had Hickey, 23. Oh, mate, I've never seen Hickey play a better game. And you had 23 disposals as a ruckman. He's been everywhere, Hickey. 
And uh, at his, what, fourth club now and uh, 23 disposals for Sydney. He actually looked good around the ground. He did look good. He, he looked like a brand new player. Because when, when I saw Hickey, I thought it might have been his brother or something because another young star, un- unaware that uh, he <laughs> he actually could play football. So uh, it was probably good that they had Robbie Fox out. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> him in there. when he was out, that's when I should have gone the tip for Sydney because <laughs> he didn't turn the ball over in the back line. But I can't believe that Brisbane, you know, went into half time, even at three-quarter time there, and couldn't come out and, and really get some grunting there in the middle and start winning the ball out. Joe Danaher's, um, you know, debut, he, he kicked a goal. He was really happy at the start of the game. He kicked two in the end, but he grabbed his jumper and said, you know what, this is where I belong. And then they go on to lose. So it was quite disappointing. Most definitely. Speaking of things that were a bit disappointing, we head on to the Sunday game, pairs, And I know um, you're going to absolutely barrel this team, but I thought North Melbourne in their game against Port Adelaide, you know, the another team that finished top of the ladder last year and they were one, winner, well, one kick away, realistically, from playing in a grand final. Uh, they came up against the power and they got uh, absolutely pants by 52 points. But early on in the game, they had a, a decent sort of stronghold on the game and they did keep that balance if it wasn't for the second quarter eight goal haul by Port Adelaide, showing that they now with adding Alira Lear and Fantasia. Fantasia had four goals. Uh, I think it four, four goals. Four. four. Like Pass they've, one they've just added another um, elite forward into that already strong forward line. Port Adelaide have to be the front runners, pairs because they were very impressive. They already were tipped to be one of the favourites. Don't go the early crow against oh, uh, only playing against the wooden spoon. I, I had them winning the premiership, Pez. Uh, Adam, uh, top of the ladder, mate. Against the wooden spoon, don't take too much out of this game. North Melbourne really came out early and were dominating the inside fifties. The contested footy, they had the effort there, and they just couldn't kick a score. They they couldn't kick anything. Two goals four to two goals two in the first quarter. Port Adelaide came out and kicked eight goals two to one goal two in the second to, to put the game to bed, lead by around 40 points. Uh, Travis Boak continued his Brownlow oh. form. Well, isn't he great He's to like watch? like a fine wine, isn't he? <laughs> What's and he now, 33, and he racked up 27 and nine clearances. That's and this incredible. is when you, you can't write him off. And one thing I did notice about Fantasia, yes, he's a, a silky smooth um, finisher. A couple of times there where he did kick goals and he finished the goal, he could he could have passed it off. A little handball over the top or a little uh, chip kick 15 metres in front of him to and a guy that was standing there, easy set shot. Oh, I think Fantasia a little bit selfish, and then uh, you got to be on your new club. Might have got might have got told about it because in the fourth quarter, about three minutes to go, he could have kicked his fifth, passed it off inside the fifty. So yeah, I think uh, think it got mentioned. I mean, you got to remember that Fantasia has had a long time away from football, very inconsistent run at Essendon, and was when he was playing, he was unable to get a couple of snags because the delivery into that forward line wasn't as good as it was uh, yesterday. It was coming in absolute spades, mate. It was coming in left, um, right, and center. Quick question for those Essendon fans. Um, you know, bag bagged us out for putting them bottom four and stuff. Do you think if Fantasia played on Saturday night against the Hawks, they would have had a win? Well, <laughs> let's keep on moving there. Uh, but Port, but as we said, North Melbourne showed some early signs. Luke Davies Uninaki, he's going to be incredible. I know you I can't, n- you I, need to let I, I, say, I his, name. I can't say his name. He had like ten touches in the first quarter until um, obviously they went into a quarter time and Port Adelaide put some work into him. He finished with twenty for the game, but really impressive for some of their young blokes. Um, you know him, Atley, Jaden Stevenson at his new club had thirty three touches. Would have liked him to see kick one of those uh, couple of shots on goal that he had. He ended up with 33 and two behinds, but seven tackles, five clearances. He was very good. He was dirty on himself when he missed a couple of those goals. But the biggest stat for Jaden Stevenson, as he's only ever been played in the forward line or halfback, he had seven tackles. And that shows effort. 
Yep, and that was something that really lacked at times last year after his, you know, what first season that he had at Collingwood where he came out of the blocks running, won the Rising Star, and then he was involved in that uh, gambling betting saga. He's still wearing the uh, the stripes. They're just a different colour, so it's uh, good good for Jaden Stevenson. Not too hard to make an adjustment, <laughs> but obviously now when you put the effort in there, very capable and quality footballer, and... Tell you what, if he played on uh, he played on Friday night with Collingwood, oh, come on, you just skipped over <laughs> you just skipped over that there. But I think Collingwood supporters are going to be bleeding for years to come. The rising star in two thousand eighteen, and uh, I don't know if he can become you know an elite midfielder, but he can definitely pinch it in there, and uh, he can go forward and kick goals. So uh, we'll struggle at North, obviously, to kick goals, but um, yeah, he will will try and get some. We obviously both got the line there minus thirty one and a half for Port Adelaide. Uh, and yeah, not much else to say at this game, but you know, probably the only thing was that they North Melbourne didn't seem as bad as I thought they were going to. As I said, some of these young guys actually looked not too bad. Port Adelaide though looked very, very impressive, and uh, they are going to be a force to uh, be reckoned with. I think. Yeah, and I think what we said about Port Adelaide in our preseason letter prediction show is they are a team that care about minor premierships. Yep. So they care about every preseason game. You saw Geelong's effort. You saw Brisbane's effort. Port Adelaide, they're going to bring it every single week, whoever's on the park. They were uh, missing Connor Rosie as well. So you bring him in. I don't know who you bring him in for, but you make that team even stronger. Yeah, most definitely, Pez. All right, get on to the next game, Pez. I know you've been dying to talk about this. Your Saints were extremely, <sighs> extremely brave. This game could have gone anyway. It absolutely belted down with rain, and it looked very miserable sort of conditions. But the, your Saints escaped with an eight-point uh, win, but... Probably the, the biggest story was the amount of opportunities that GWS had in that last quarter to really take it. And the, your never-say-die Saints with, count them, eight players out, Pez. Eight, eight, eight players. Everyone's Bra- saying Bra- that. Brad Karouch, he's yep. in your best, best 22. 22. Yep. Paddy Ryder. Yep. Zach Jones. Yep. Hannabury. Yep. King. Yep. Frawley. No. Piss off. Definitely not. Rowan Marshall. And that's six. Yep. Yeah, who else? Geary. <laughs> no. <laughs> So that's six, isn't it? That's six, six, yeah. Six players because James Frawley... I don't Frawley, know if is in your best he, 22. Well, you look at our defenders and they're very unknown defenders. Dougal Howard, I've got to give him really a big shout out. Oh, that's he, unusual for you. He... You, would, love, you love old Dougal Howard. I love Dougal Howard. Coming to the club, he's one of... He will become an elite defender in the game because he can do it one-on-one. He, he structures that defence down there. Callum Wilkie, the accountant from Adelaide who came, came from nowhere. He's going great guns as well. Jake Carlisle can't get a game. We're actually very set and I think we've only got Frawley because I did not like him when he was at Melbourne and you remember on the podcast yeah, not liking his slowness and his, uh, even his disposal. So unless he's improved that and can come back in... He's not the frawley he was once was at Hawthorne. Most and I think not, yeah. these younger players um, should have their spot I- until they lose it. He'd be good in there for some a bit of leadership in there, though. That's uh, one thing that, you know, sometimes sa- the Saints do lack, you know, um, probably earlier on last year than, than going forward uh, the rest of the year. But I think they could definitely use in there for that experience in there. But if it's going to come at the expense of a young gun who's performing, then you're probably right. He's probably not in the best 22. But speaking of young guns, mate, uh, Jack Billings had 30. Jade Gresham had 28. Hunter Clark, our man, our pod favourite, Hunter Clark. He looked incredible. And we we definitely had the early crow on that, Pez. Uh, I heard a lot of commentators talking about, you know, he really sort of jumped out of him towards the final series. He had an amazing year last year, and we were on him right from the start. You've got to be on him. And when you watch the team closely every week, you're going to pick up on that. Um, I thought Gresham was really good around the ground. Membry uh, moved up, took a couple of good grabs in the wet. Yep. Uh, and one, ended with three goals and two goal assists as well. He looked really good. Oh, yeah. And one thing I was really um, impressed with by the Giants was some of their ability. You've got Callum Ward. 
can't tackle the bloke. Oh. Um, Canelio, not not that impressive, but he was getting the pill. He was moving it on forward. But Toby Green, Toby whenever Green. he's Toby. around the ball, oh, so exciting. You know, and it's a it's not he's not as good as Dustin Martin. Yeah, no, but no, he no. reminds me of Dustin Martin when he's around the footy because he just gets things done. He took an absolute screamer oh. in the wet. Yeah. It was touch first, but you know they always pay them. <laughs> they they always do pay them. Yeah, he had majority he's of the goal. pill there, and you don't want to take that away from and him. And He's come down with it in the wet. He's nearly taken a couple of other grabs. I would have loved to see this game in, in dry conditions to see what other players could do. But the players with skills like Toby Green, Hunter Clark, really stand out when they when they play in the wet. Yeah, most definitely. Like Toby Green had that one goal after he took that big scream. I had three behinds. Probably could have uh, in dry conditions, probably at least would have had 3-1. Oh, so lucky, you're very lucky that it wasn't. Did you see the goal kicking? He looked electric around that forward line. So many shots that just went across the face, out on the full uh, for both sides, it was absolutely ridiculous. But St Kilda, I think they just had that small forward structure where when they did get the ball forward, it would come to ground and they could continue to, you know, get it forward. Jack Higgins from Richmond, very, very impressed with him uh, coming from there and able to do that. Dan Butler didn't have a massive impact, but um, did it where it mattered. And 40, 40 seconds to go, kicked a very, very electric goal, mate, and definitely handed you guys that clear victory. Look, I did I did see on a, a little uh, Snapchat of you having a nice little celebration. Oh, did you? I did. I did saw that. I didn't, I didn't see that Snapchat. I was obviously not sent it. But, you, um, you were enjoying uh, enjoying that goal very Oh, <laughs> mate, you should have seen me <laughs> I, that I afternoon on the couch. Oh, you did? I didn't. I didn't know that. That's news to me. So um, <laughs> there you go. I hope that's saved there so I can actually have a look at that. Um, but oh, it, he got the the call uh, where he actually bumped. He elected to bump and Callum Ward's dropped the ball. And he didn't tackle. He had his arms out kind of going around him. But that's the big controversy. St. Kilda up by two points, uh, about a minute to go. And people saying it cost GWS the game. Now, St. Kilda were up in the wet. GWS in the back 50. The ball was loose. I, I don't see the call costing... Uh, GWS the game yes it finished the game and gave them no chance to do that at the end but it's the same thing with the free kicks um, differential source GWS killed that differential St Kilda supporters on Twitter were going on about it I, I don't agree with that I don't like that it's because St Kilda were doing stupid things like Sean McKernan he was grabbing pe- he grabbed um, Himmelberg in the ruck he grabbed his jumper silly when you grab his jumper, mate, it's, it's always going to be a free kick. He especially, gave up a especially goal. in a game that's already congested, and when they're trying to get the ball when out, goals of it, are hard to come by. Yeah, he gave up a goal. Dumb. You know what you got to do? You put the your flat hand on the jumper. Never grab the jumper, whatever you do, because if the umpire sees it, bang, it's a free. Always going to be a free kick. Right, I'm very interested with that one, Pez, because. I actually had this argument with my dad watching this game, and dad and I have this argument a lot of the time with the holding the ball decision, <laughs> right? To me, that is 100% a free kick because he did not dispose of the ball correctly. Correctly. Yeah, but I don't know when that's a rule. That, sometimes of course it, it is. No, that, sometimes well, it's, it's a rule. Maybe, sometimes it's maybe they shouldn't have called it holding the ball, but it should have been dropping the ball or, or a throw or, or something because you can't just drop the ball. But yeah. the attempt, you always hear that in, in the round, Jeff. No. Oh, yes, you do. He attempted to kick it. Oh, yeah. When they get yeah, tackled. Yeah, but that's when he's been around. tackled and he hasn't had the opportunity to get rid of it and he's made the attempt. In that one there, realistically, he's been bumped and the ball has come out of his hands because he had possession. He didn't dispose of the ball. Therefore, it has to be holding the ball. Maybe it's not called holding the ball. Maybe it's called dropping the ball or a throw or whatever. But he did not dispose of the football correctly. In our game, you have to kick it or handball it. He didn't either. He has to be pinned. No, well, you got to watch the game um, games this week and see how many times it actually happens. I when say, Pez, I watched all games last week. When so don't tell me I have to watch games. When there's players that don't dispose of the ball source and it's called play on, he attempted to kick it, play on. And sometimes umpires will come out of the blue and say, oh, incorrect disposal. And then I'm wondering, oh, does this rule exist? I don't know if it does or not. It has to exist, Pez. And I think that 
Yeah, I, th- I think they actually probably just need to clarify it because I, I have this argument with my dad all the time because he's like, that's not a rule. The rule is that it just has to um, actually be um, tackled and you have to you have to um, dispose of it effectively. And it's like there is nothing called incorrect disposal in the rule. Well, in, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that rule, but we'll uh, watch that with intent. It, it only came about because it was in the last minute of the game, but... Um, St Kilda get a brave victory as you said uh, Loney ridiculous snap in the wet from the side to to get him back in it and then Seb Ross he kicked one out on the full by 30 metres uh, <laughs> earlier in the game and then uh, stabbed one from 50 so a, a couple of things that happened for St Kilda in that last quarter to to rally you th- would have thought 10 points down Himmelberg standing in front ready to put them nearly three goals up that was to seal it and he's hit the post he's missed it St Kilda have, have come back and, and stolen it by eight points and they get the four points. GWS have to go over to Fremantle next week and uh, see what happens there. Very, very interesting tough game. game for them as well. Uh, hopefully for the Giants that those injuries are still there for the for the Fremantle Dockers and they can bring that same sort of effort and intent to that uh, to the game in SBS Stadium. That's it, Sauce. And uh, that I was on the Saints, of course, and you were on the Giants. So that's where I've uh, pipped you this week on yeah, the line. Me on that one this week, and uh, <sighs> I don't mind being pipped by one of those ones in the the topsy turvy games and the, all the ones that we talked about. As being the straight out uh, obvious ones, I'm glad they all lost. <laughs> yeah, it could have gone either way. But we finished the season over in Western Australia at SBS Stadium. We had West Coast versus Gold Coast. And before, well, I will say it, West Coast 25 points, uh, 83 to 58. But the biggest story is uh, Matt Rowell off with a knee in that first quarter. He was on the crutches, came back to the bench, and yeah, people yeah. had to get around him because I, I just hope I don't hear really bad news about this. I just hope that he doesn't become uh, like a Greg Oden or a, like a, one of those players, you know, um, can be with those sort of number one draft picks who just don't seem to ever get rid of that injury tag. He's shown us so much already. He's shown us so much. And look, he looked really, really good in that first quarter. I thought he was probably going to end up with, the, you know, 30 touches. And, and actually at stages, they really, really um, – the, the Gold Coast Suns, let's, let's be clear here, they stood up when he went down. If, oh, they, they if you add him into that side, they were a very big chance of snatching this game because the West Coast Eagles were not that impressive. Um, Oscar Allen obviously was you know, very impressive kicking four goals, um, but the West Coast Eagles just weren't dominant in that game. And they, they you know, the Gold Coast inexperience really cost them to making it, leaving it competitive in that last quarter. Yeah, they weren't dominant. Some, some of the really positive things for West Coast is Nat Nui in the ruck and around the ground. And uh, Jack Darling... And his ability to mark the ball. There was a couple that, you know, just dropped to the ground. And I thought, you know, could have been paid. Um, the way he goes and runs at the footy hard and marks it, really impressive forward. Uh, will be, I think, their best forward this year and, and kick the most goals for them. Uh, King down the other end, same thing. He He's impressive up the ground as well. You had... Uh, uh, Miller, who was, you know, trying to do a tagging role early and then he had to, you know, get off the chain. He, he got a goal from a stoppage there and it really helped him. Gold Coast led by a point heading into the third quarter. Yep. And then West Coast just, you know, had to go, this is at our home ground. This is going to be really embarrassing. We've got to turn this around and end up winning by 25 points. And the thing I don't want to say about the Gold Coast Suns is they were brave. Because, no, because that's I, the narrative last year. Yeah, no, they're, they're past that now. They're at that next stage of the career where they need to look at this game and go, like, you know what? That's where we need our experienced players and our senior players to step up and not have those really ticky-tacky, terrible decisions that they made sometimes that all of those goals in that last quarter came off poor decisions and turnovers. It wasn't West Coast winning their own pill. It was, of, you know, Gold Coast had the pill and when they, got turn, when they turned the ball over... 
this rule really, really kills you in turnovers. Oh, it does. And I was really impressed with Gold Coast in the first three quarters, Sauce, and even the start of the fourth where they get West Coast to turn the ball over at a half-forward line and they just have numbers around the footy. They'd handball. Mm-hmm. They were brave. They were accurate in their kicking. Yeah. And they just like looked like a really good side. I know it's a bigger ground over at Optus, but – I'd love to see them against a team that isn't as experienced as West Coast as yep. well, who were able to just, you know, bigger bodies and able to get it done in the end. But Gold Coast are going to, you know, not upset, but they're going to beat a lot of teams no, they're, this year. They're going to be really competitive. And um, I was really hoping that they actually would get that game because for them, for experience as well as confidence going in, to go over to SBS Stadium and beat an experienced West Coast side that, you know, many people have finishing the top eight, one of the best sides in the comp, a lot of people are saying. You know, they really showed... A lot of fight, but that's where I really they need some they need some more more than just fight and more than being brave and more than being courageous. They need some results. They, they need, need these wins. They need the wins because a twenty four point loss uh, after a twenty five point loss after going into the game, you know, as uh, five dollar outsiders and really the line was up at, at twenty eight and a half for them to only just cover it is not good enough and realistically I know that they went down one person on the bench and they had they had you know Rowe probably their their best midfielder. But they realistically got beaten by experience. These are the wins that they need to get, especially when a lot of the game was played on their terms. Yeah, and they've got an impressive list, pre- impressive young list. Lacocious, I really like off that back line with his kicking. Lockie Weller looked good as well. You know, he kicked a nice little snag. <laughs> That's amazing. That, that goal. He just came out of nowhere, just popped one, boom, goal. How did he um, get that footy in the in the stoppage there? But Oleg Markov as well from Richmond, a fringe player great, from Richmond. Great pickup. He he played really well. Took some really good marks. Made really good decisions. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to to watching the Gold Coast this year. It's remember like three four years ago, it was like oh the Gold Coast are playing, they're going to lose by eighty points. Nah, now now it's going to be like Gold Coast are in this game. Gold Coast should be able to win. And that's what it is. I want to see them get those victories. They need to get past these three or four win marks that they've been on the last couple of years. This is the season for them to really take their game. And as you said, you know, they need to make the eight, realistically. That needs to be a success for them. No more brave victories. Because realistically, to that, that's a disappointing loss. Yeah, in, and in the end, it, it should be. They, they need to let that burn. They need to go around and do other things. So that... Closes off the uh, nine game source and uh, Gold Coast Suns, uh, 27 and a half it was when we got it. So we still covered it there. Lucky Crips missed that goal at the end. Yep. <laughs> Hit the post, <laughs> which was good. Uh, so I got five out of nine on the lines and you got four out of nine. So yeah, we'll take a one point lead there in our end to end. Later on in the week, I think Wednesday night before uh, the round, we'll be doing our end to end podcast then and we'll be giving you our previews and all the lines there, Source. So make sure you look out for it and you've subscribed on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already, at Behind the Bound on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Jump on board. I've been Pez. Peace out. I'm still Source. We'll catch up next time, guys. Enjoy.